We've been studying through the book of 1 Peter, and uh, I want us to turn today to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Remember, Peter is writing to Christians who are facing a lot of opposition. They're even facing persecution. Some have actually been uh, 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 threatened with death, and some have actually died at the hands of the Roman uh, emperor Nero, who was the emperor at this time, and uh, and greater persecution was yet to come, and uh, and not just in Peter's day, he actually would die at the hands of Nero, but uh, but persecution throughout the centuries, for twenty centuries, the church has known opposition and persecution. And it's certainly true today. Now, in our lifetime here in America, we have basically had the home court advantage for all of our life. Uh, it's actually almost been a benefit to be a, a, a church-attending Christian in America, especially in the South. But uh, that's beginning to shift somewhat, isn't it? And uh, so books like First Peter will speak more to us today than they would have even 30 years ago. And they may speak to us and to our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren even more than it does to us today. But Peter is writing this to people who are suffering. And by the way, life includes suffering. Every one of us have suffered. Not all of us have suffered persecution, but all of us have suffered. And so Peter is writing to suffering saints and also to those who are expecting a fiery trial of persecution. So just listen to this text in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He says, when, when this fiery trial comes, don't think this is something strange. It's actually expected. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. That's pretty interesting. He puts meddling right in there with murdering and other things, you know. Most people say, well, I've never murdered anybody, but have you meddled? Well, of course, preachers, that's our job to meddle, but uh, you're not supposed to do it. Okay. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? 
And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Well, there's a lot to say about this passage, and I may actually make two sermons out of it. I won't preach both of them today. So, uh, But I want us to look at the first part especially. You see, he's talking about what we just call general persecution, and then he says there is coming a fiery trial. For Christians, we should expect some opposition from a, a pagan world in which we live because our lives are different. Now, we don't go around trying to pick fights. We shouldn't anyway. We don't go around trying to, uh, to, uh, to make people persecute us. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about that if we live a Christian life, doing the right thing, loving Jesus, loving other people, being obedient to God, and, and just living the Christian life, there will be some people who will push back against that because unsaved people are somewhat intimidated by, maybe even convicted by, and certainly they are feel a, sin, a reason to oppose people who live differently than they do. It's just that if you say, uh, I don't, if, if I'm offered a drink, an alcoholic drink, and I say, no, thank you, then there's some who would say, well, well why not? And I say, well, I, I don't drink. And they say, well, why not? Well, I've got to where I say, well, I'm probably an alcoholic. Because every male in my family was an alcoholic. And so I've never touched a drink of alcohol because I'm terrified of what might happen to me if I ever took one drink. I don't know that I might not be an alcoholic. But I usually don't tell people that I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) But uh, I sometimes will say something like this. Well, you know, since I committed my life to Jesus and am committed to following him as Lord, drinking alcohol is something that I think he does not want me to do. When you're just making a simple statement like that, you'll have some people who say, oh, so you're condemning me? No, I'm not condemning you. I'm saying you, you help yourself. You, you have your drink. I can sit here and I can drink water while you drink whatever. But... You get that idea, oh, you think you're better than us. You, you, you're, a, you're some holy Joe or something like that. I say, no, I'm a Saint Nick, but I'm not a holy Joe. No, uh, no, I, I'm not condemning them. I'm just being obedient to Jesus. I'm just following the Lord. But in the Bible, when people followed Jesus, it inevitably led to opposition. It inevitably led to some people resisting and opposing and then eventually persecuting. So he tells us four things in this passage. We'll look at two of them today. One is that we need to expect suffering in life. Now, that's just in general we expect suffering. Everybody in here has suffered. 
Some of you have suffered the loss of loved ones in the last year or two. And all of us have suffered, and so many of us are suffering right now, in fact. So, so we're to expect suffering, but not just general suffering in life that comes as a result of living in a world that's dominated by sin and, 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 and ruled by sin. But he, he says you should expect opposition and expect even persecution. Why is that true? It's because we're different. Listen to this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, encouraging them to, to be different. He says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? You can't have both of those coexisting together. What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst. Be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. See, there there are things that we, ways that we're different from the world. The very word conversion means change. When you become a Christian, you're changed. You're different. Your thinking changes. Your value system changes. The things that used to mean a lot to you lose their value. And the things that once meant nothing to you now suddenly are elevated in value. And so our, our values, our, our behavior is different. If a man says, well, you know, I became a Christian, but it doesn't change the way I act. I say, well, you may probably didn't become a Christian. Because Christians change. That's what it is to be a, cha- a Christian is to be different. We follow Jesus now. And when we do that, there are those who are going to say, uh, I feel like you're judging me. No, I'm not judging them. I'm just being obedient to God. Again, we don't try to stir up a hornet's nest. But when we live our life as a Christian, there will be some who totally misunderstand that. Our, I think even our appearance changes. There is a, a radiance about the Christian that wasn't there before. When I travel in other countries, I can almost pick out Christians before I even talk to them. I just see a kind of a, 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 a radiance about them. And rarely have I said to a person, I bet you are a follower of Jesus. And them say, no, I'm not. Because I say, I just see in your face. I see in your eyes a brightness that I don't see among other people. And so that's, it shouldn't be surprising to us that if we live differently, that we're going to have some opposition from the world. This is part of Satan's long war against God. 
Listen to John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. John 15, 18 through 21. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me <laughs> before it hated you. You're in good company when the world system hates you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. I imagine one of the questions that I ask myself is how much opposition do I have? I mean, I, I know for a fact that when people know that I'm a pastor, uh, they almost expect, quote, right behavior out of a pastor. But if I were not a pastor, if I were out in the world like most of you are, I would hope that the way I lived, the attitudes I had, the responses that I give to people, the the, the way I behave would be a recognizable mark of the fact that I was a follower of Jesus. Now, I personally think that it's important to identify yourself with Jesus. You, it's important to let people know the, the reason that I'm living like I live is because I love Jesus. I'm following him. He is my Lord. And I live the way I live because I'm following Jesus. And once you mention that name, that name, not even the name God, a lot of people, you can get by with talking about, I love God. And nobody gets too upset about that. But as soon as you bring in his name, I follow Jesus. There is a pushback against that name. That name is the name that we're to honor. So we're to expect suffering. Yes, there will be trials. And he says fiery trials. What is a fiery trial? Well, it's a... Uh, the way they purify metals is by putting it in the fire. <laughs> Gold ore is heated, and then the impurities are skimmed off, and then it's heated more, and more impurities come out, and more impurities come out, and the longer it stays in the fire, the purer the gold becomes. And he says... You are all being tested. You're all being purified. You're all being purged. And that's being done through these fiery trials. So we don't despise the, the trials because it is purifying our faith, which is more precious, he told us earlier, than the purest of gold. So 
Uh, when, when we're in a fiery trial, if we think God is trying to get things out of my life, sometimes it's not behavior, sometimes it's attitude, sometimes it's uh, 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 motives, and he's trying to purify and purge our life because fire does purify. And then we just really, uh, close with, uh, with this rejoice. He says that we're not only to expect suffering, we're to actually rejoice in suffering. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. How can we rejoice in persecution? And by the way, I don't know that we've been through a fiery trial. Not not nationally. I mean, I know there are parts of America today where it costs more to be a Christian than it does in other parts. We're right here in the Bible Belt, and even here, there's a lot of movement away from God and more into paganism. I just read this last week. The new head chaplain at Harvard University is an atheist and a declared atheist, and yet he was chosen to be the head chaplain at Harvard University. And in this culture in which we're living now, to take a stand for truth is to put yourself in a position with a target on you. And all this stuff of cancel culture and all that kind of stuff, eventually, and it hasn't yet in our part of the country, but eventually, it could and probably will, unless a revival comes, will come to a place where it will cost more to be a Christian than it has ever cost in the past. And speaking of a fiery trial, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan right now are facing a fiery trial. They understand what passages like this mean. They are under attack. And if our complete pullout of all American troops does happen by day after tomorrow, those Christians are going to be left defenseless and they will be at the mercy of people who don't even know what mercy means. And yet, we're hearing reports from Afghanistan of Christians who are saying, we are prepared to suffer and die for Jesus because he has never failed us and we will not fail him.
They say that there's not even a great sadness among the Christians as they gather there now, that they are gathering with joy and saying, if we are counted worthy to suffer for our Savior, then we will rejoice in that. Let's just take a minute and pray. Heavenly Father, we just lift up to you our brothers and sisters who are in such a dangerous place in Afghanistan. And Father, I I pray for a protective covering around them. I pray that there will be a blinding of the eyes of the enemy, that they'll be able to walk right past Christians, even as they're gathering to worship and not even see them. And I pray that uh, your deliverance for them will come either in protection or in taking them to be with you. And I know that some of them have said, we do not fear death because death will bring us into the presence of our Savior. But Lord, I pray against the false and horrible teachings of the Taliban. I pray against that religion of hate and control. And I ask you now in the name of Jesus to uh, defeat that enemy, protect your children. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when we face a fiery trial like they're facing, we need to rejoice. They're doing that. Uh, some of the things I read, we have some dear, dear friends of ours, and in fact, they're in-laws of ours, who have, they were in Afghanistan for five years as teachers in a school over there. And uh, so they made deep, deep friendships with some of the Christians in Afghanistan. And they've been praying night and day that their brothers and that their friends could could get out. And one or two of them have gotten out. But we are we're we're hearing reports from there that are just amazing. Amazing deliverances for one thing, and then for those who are not delivered from harm, amazing deliverances from fear and from the fear of persecution. So he says rejoice, rejoice in suffering. And we rejoice because it means our fellowship with Jesus. He said rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. For a Christian to suffer is to identify himself with the sufferings of Jesus. There's a legend, I don't know if it's true or not, that when Rome was being, uh, when, when Christians were being gathered together in Rome and were being killed by Nero, that Simon Peter had a, a way of escape and that he was leaving the city and that he met 
someone going into the city and he recognized that person as Jesus and he said Quo Vadis Lord Quo Vadis where are you going where are you going and Jesus answered I'm going into the city to suffer with my people where are you going and Peter turned and went back into the city was arrested and crucified upside down now whether that's a true story or not but I know they wrote a book called Quovitis and made a movie called Quovitis based on that story but the same it is true when we see God's people suffering we can know this. They're not just suffering for Jesus. Jesus is suffering with them in their suffering. So it means fellowship with Christ. And it means glory in the future. He says, uh, you rejoice and be glad because his glory will be revealed. Without suffering, maybe no glory. We, the way we endure suffering determines the way we enjoy glory. And then it brings the work of the Holy Spirit into our life. That the Spirit of Christ will be upon you. And then it magnifies the name of Jesus. So those are the things that suffering, the fiery trial of suffering, does in our life I don't look forward to suffering I don't want to suffer a fiery trial but I pray that if the time comes even right here in Texas that probably be the last place but even if the time comes here in Texas if we have to suffer for the name of Jesus that we will do so with joy and with faith and with confident hope that suffering now means an eternal weight of glory in the future. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this passage of Scripture that reminds us that in this world, we have tribulation. In this world, we have suffering. And Father, uh, just listening to what one of Dottie Rambo's songs this week, saying that if, if we could just, if, if, if my soul was a window that you could look through, oh, the pain and sorrow you would see. And I know that every person here has and is suffering to some degree. But I pray that if the day comes that we have to suffer for being a Christian, that we will do so with the faith, the love, the hope, and the confidence that this passage encourages to have. 
And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.